all, this is Bhaskar and you are listening to Today in History. The day today is 2nd June and on this day in 1756, the Nawab of Bengal attacked Fort William. The siege went on for 18 days and Sirajuddaullah had finally won on the 20th of June against the British forces. You may be asking me now, if we won, then why did they get to rule us? Well, the battle we lost was the Battle of Plassey. We will get into that later. This event is popularly known as the Siege of Calcutta. Some argue that this was that event, the event, that changed the course of Southeast Asia, including India. They have to say that this was that unfortunate mistake that created a chain reaction. I believe whoever is telling you that is either oversimplifying it or outright exaggerating the siege. India was a vastly different place that time and it was so valuable for the European trade that they would find a way to bring it under their control. So let's get into it. The British took about a leisure 100 years to bring the entire India, Pakistan and current day Bangladesh into its control. I know I have told you before that this event is over exaggerated but this event still has significant value and to understand the complete picture we have to understand the situation in India as well as that of England. The East India Company, the company that had colonized India for the British was created on 31st December 1600. It was a joint venture of many London merchants uniting to combat Dutch competition in eastern trade. The company maintained a monopoly of trade from Britain to the east. Its first trading activities in India began in the 1613 with the first factory set up in Surat. You might have heard of Thomas Roe. He was the British who came to the court of Jahangir. He stayed in the Mughal court for a few years in which he became quite the friend of Jahangir. It was this modest beginning through which the company expanded to other parts of India. like Bombay, Madras and Calcutta by the end of 17th century. The conquest of India from 1757 was not directed from home like in England. It was a course of action taken by the company. The policy for using arms in the trade was an axiom in the practice of East India Company's trade. The company and the crown were intimately linked for mutual benefits. Whenever in Britain the monarch did not support the company, they had suffered This was possible by the royal charter that they had received since the beginning of the company. The company helped the crown in not only competing with the Dutch but in maintaining a high diplomatic profile in European politics. The colonization of India was also widely accepted in Britain. The company in exchange for the royal charter handed to the crown delegated sovereignty. In exchange, the crown gave the company the monopoly of trade. The Regulating Act of 1773 cleared any ambiguities related to delegated sovereignty. Interlopers, or should I say the intruders, directly undermined the company's monopolistic policies by conducting and financing trade between Indian Ocean countries and England. At one point, this has seriously become a problem. The problem actually lied within the workings of the company. Many of these so-called interlopers lied within the company. they conducted their own personal trade the company officials also helped the indian merchants whenever it served both of them mutual interest the most critical issue however was the misuse of the trading privileges granted by the moguls to the east india company 
the dastaks or the permits issued by the local offices of the company certifying their own goods which were not to be charged any duty by the mughal authorities were frequently issued by the company officials to their indian agents thus defrauding the mughal treasury of enormous amount of revenue this was one of the main cause of friction between the company and the mughal rulers in bengal which at that point of time were already acting semi autonomously we'll get into that soon and yes about the duty free trade in 1690 aurangzeb's farman farman is a royal degree so in 1690 aurangzeb's farman had given the company right to duty free trade for an annual fee of rupees 3000 remember what your father said about shopping for 2 rupees well this was a time of your great 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 grandfathers so remember that whenever you want to consider the inflation after 2 years the company also got zamindari rights for three villages near calcutta there was some turbulence however during the death of aurangzeb but the company's light had crossed the clouds when the mughal emperor farooq shah granted the company rights to duty free trade and then allowed them to rent 38 villages near calcutta well this order by farooq shah had also created rift between the company and the nawab of bengal namely murshid kuli khan if you are wondering who this dude is he was a very able military commander and a very efficient revenue collector It was during his reign that Bengal became a semi-autonomous province. It was probably this obsession to efficiency and for obvious reason the loss of revenue the friction between the two parties increased. Over time the value of the port of Calcutta was becoming more and more important to the British. It was in the early 18th century that Calcutta had become a very important piece in the structure of the company. The Bengal goods comprised for nearly 60% of the revenue coming from Asia. We will talk about the defeat of British by Sirajuddaula and its near consequences after this break. You can skip the break if you want to, but before the break, a quick fun fact. The British Navy was the strongest navy in the world since defeating the Spanish Armada in 1588 and until the Second World War when America with its many aircraft carriers took over because of the continuous increase in the friction between the nawab and the british the nawab wanted to get rid of the british and was only looking for an opportunity the immediate cause of the siege was because the britishers were renovating their fortifications without taking permissions from the nawab and because the company was also giving refuge to krishna balla who was charged with fraud by the nawab so the reason that the british were cited for the fortifications was the outbreak of the austrian succession war in europe in 1740 now this austrian succession war brought in hostilities between the english and the french companies in india The French also had a victorious hand in south at that point and although the nawab promised that the companies could trade in peace the britishers did not trust the power of the nawab in a show of strength the nawab took over the factory at kasim bazar governor drake foolishly believed that instead of diplomatically resolving the issue he could use force to fight off the hurdles in their trade due to this 
On the 2nd of June, 1757, the Nawab of Bengal seized the Fort Williams. The Nawab, on his part, failed to realize the true capabilities of the British. I am not talking about the raw gunpower. I am talking about the ability that the British had to use all that is in their hands to win the battle and in the bigger picture to win the war. The Nawab also had a dis- the Nawab also had a disaffected faction in his court. The faction consisted of merchants, bankers, financiers, and powerful zamindars. Bengal was a relatively prosperous province of the Mughal Empire. In Bengal, this faction is pretty powerful. It was by their support that Mushid Kuli Khan was able to attain semi-autonomous status within the Mughal Empire. They also felt threatened by the new Nawab trying to tip the balance of power. The Indian merchantile community were also in close contact with the European companies as many a times they worked in collaboration. Ever heard of Robert Clive? Yeah, the man who defeated Siraj Daula in the famous Battle of Plassey. Well, he was very smart. He was so smart to even fight the battle at Plassey. He knew what the situation in the court was. So Robert Clive went with a coup d'etat to remove Siraj Daula and install Mir Zafar. What we know is Mir Zafar, who was a military commander, was the choice of Jagat Seth. But what remains mystery is either the coup d'etat was already in place in the court or Robert Clive had concatenated the whole thing. Anyways, when the battle day came, the largest contingent of Siraj Daula remained ineffective, the contingent that was under Mir Zafar. Well, because of that, it was less of a battle and more of a skirmish, and Robert Clive walked all over Siraj Daula. What followed was the British having a cakewalk across the country because the entire nation, sorry, the geographical continent was fragmented into small territories. One especially important thing that my history teacher had once told me was that the only good thing that came out of the British rule was India. India as a nation. If I ever talk about the Indian National Congress in this podcast, I will cover their objectives in detail. What the early nationalists had done was instill in us the sense that there is something called as a nation. Before the British, there are some kingdoms that were said to be pan-Indian. But not even a single kingdom was so huge like that of the British India. And in none of the kingdoms was there a sense of unity and a sense of nationhood. The large kingdoms also had something called the periphery and the center. What I mean to say is that the power dynamics of the kingdom was arranged in this manner that only the center was under the direct rule of the rulers. Maybe only the modern state was immune to this, not even the golden ages of the Gupta Empire. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you liked it, then every day you can hope and wait for an all new episode except Sundays where I take you through history. But if you loved it, don't forget to tell your friends where you learned these interesting facts, anecdotes or stories from. Also, you can send any feedbacks to todayinindianhistory at gmail.com. I repeat, todayinindianhistory at gmail.com.